Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday Podcast. My name is Greg and we are currently going through a series in Matthew and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to look out and see all your smiling faces, and I I say this most of the time when I get an opportunity to preach, but it's one of my favorite things to look out uh, during this connect time or perhaps after the service and see God's body here connecting with each other, enjoying each other's company, sharing life, uh, to be able to sing and worship with the worship team this morning, to be able to hear from God's word, and then to connect with each other. That is what being a church body is all about on a Sunday morning. So if, if you came in here and you're feeling a little dry, like we talked about earlier this morning, uh, you're in the right place because God's Holy Spirit is here to fill you. If you came in here joyous and excited to participate in worship and excited to uh, thank God for the week that he has given you, you're in the right place because there's a bunch of people here who are joyously worshiping God for what he's done in their lives. So if you're new, welcome. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, uh, we're really excited to have you. Uh, there's little connect cards in the seat back in front of you that if, you're, if you haven't been here before, you can fill those out and drop it in the, the boxes, uh, the offering boxes on the fireplace, and we'd love to connect with you. For those of you that may not know me, my name's Eric Waka, but I'm not the normal pastor. He's a lot better than I am. Uh, he and his family, Greg and uh, his family, are gone this week uh, to a conference, and so we'll be lifting them up in prayer as they're, as they're traveling. We have a couple of exciting things to celebrate together this morning. Uh, again, the church is, is not a Sunday morning only thing. If you think that it is, you're badly mistaken. And there's a couple of really joyous things to celebrate today uh, that has happened in the last, the last week. Um, a, one, of our, one of our members has been, uh, uh, through her friendship with a, a new attender, was able to share the gospel over time. And in this past week, uh, her friend, who's, who's, I don't even know if she's here or not this morning, I'm sorry, but accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior this past week. So praise God. If, if this is your normal place to worship, you know that we are called to uh, share the gospel with words and with actions all week long. And if, you are, if that's a new idea to you or you're not really sure what we mean by that, we mean that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you and he died on the cross for your sins. And he wants to be Lord of your life. So we're going to hear more about that today. The second really exciting thing to celebrate this morning is that uh, uh, one of our younger guys here got baptized this past week and made that public profession of his faith. Yep. Nick, Nick Castleberg. Nick, are you here this morning? Where are you at? There you go. Hey, stand up for just a second. Just wave. There you go. Nick. <clears throat> So baptism is a, is a public profession of putting your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So it's okay to make you stand up and embarrass you just a little bit because it's, it's not embarrassing. It's saying, hey, 
I was broken, I am broken, and I need a Savior, and Jesus is mine. So that's, that's the uh, baptism is a symbol of that. If you're interested in being baptized, if that's not something you've ever done before, come talk to us and, and we'll make that happen. That's a, it's a command from God for people who believe in him. Let's jump into the passage today. We're uh, going to be speaking from Matthew chapter 10, continuing our series. So if you would, stand with me and we'll read it. I like to make you guys stand because I think it's, uh, it, it draws our attention to the importance of God's word. Starting in verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It's not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. The one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? You can have a seat. Father God, I pray for us this morning. I pray we'd worship you in spirit and truth as we sing. I pray that our hearts would be focused on your word uh, as, we, as we learn from your, your holy scripture this morning. I pray that I would speak words that are true. Uh, I pray that your word, your fame, would go out through all the world, starting right here with our friends and neighbors in Cody. God, I pray for Greg and his family. Uh, I pray that you'd equip, encourage them. I pray that they would uh, return refreshed. I pray, too, for uh, the conflict in Israel and Gaza. I pray that you would bring peace we know that only you can bring peace, especially to that situation, Lord. And I pray for those who trust in you, uh, that they would work towards peace there. Father God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So, uh, we've been going through the book of Matthew for several months now. And as a little bit of context for the, the passage this morning... Uh, the book of Matthew is arranged around five sermons that Jesus gives, and then in between there's some narrative about what's happening. So this, we're now in chapter 10, and it's, a, it's the second of the five sermons that Math, the book of Matthew is organized around. And here we're, we're kind of, again, in the middle of Jesus' sermon, uh, and it's, it's not a sermon that he's given to a, a, a big group of people. Really, it's from the context we see that it's probably just his disciples or just those who are uh, committed to following him that are, that are hearing him speak. So he's gathered these 12 guys around him, uh, like Greg talked about last week, and he's paired them off two by two, and he's preparing to send them out to be laborers for the harvest. Uh, at the end of chapter 9, hey, where are the laborers for the harvest? Here Jesus is, is commissioning them 
to go be those laborers. Their job is to announce the good news, to heal the sick and the broken and the demon-afflicted. Last week, in the, in the beginning of chapter 10, we heard about some of the practical considerations where they were going. Hey, go here, don't go here, bring this, don't bring this. Uh, what should you do? But in this passage, it's a little less maybe like practical, but it's still, here's what to expect as you're being sent out to labor. Here's what to expect, disciples, as you are going from town to town. So uh, several times this morning, I'm going to ask you to hey, put on a, your imagination and put yourself into their sandals, right? Imagine yourself uh, being one of those 12 disciples that are paired up and ready to be sent out around the Judean countryside. So Jesus is now, he's, he's sending you out to be his ambassador through Israel. Do you feel ready? Do you know where you're going? Like literally, do you know which way out of town you're going to go? You say you want to follow Jesus, but what if it's not what you expect? Do you even really know what to expect? Have you done this before? Scripture doesn't tell us that you have. So remember that you, you're one of those, those 12 disciples. You're going out into the world to heal people of their diseases. That's amazing. Like that's, that's phenomenal. Like you, you, Jesus, you're telling me that I'm supposed to go out here and heal people of diseases? That's fantastic. Yes. What else was he calling them to do? Well, he was telling them to call people to repentance. He's, he told, he's commissioning his disciples to tell them to turn from their sin because the Messiah is coming. And telling people to repent or turn away from their sin, that doesn't get the same sort of love from the crowds as it does to heal people of their diseases and infirmities. So not everybody in first century Israel wanted to hear that, hey, you're a sinner and you need to change your ways. And the disciples preached a message that people were sinful, they needed to turn from God, and as they preached that message, they could expect resistance and pushback and persecution because there was going to be a cost for those disciples' efforts. Persecution was an occupational hazard of following Jesus back then. And it's not a surprise, but it still is today. Today, God still calls people to repent. We're all sinners. Many of us here this morning have already recognized our brokenness and our need for a Savior. We've, we've turned from what we were like to place our trust in Jesus. Some of you are probably wondering, should I do the same? Is it worth the cost? Is it worth it? Before we jump into any commitment, especially a life-changing commitment, we need to remember, or we need to uh, consider, what's the cost of doing this? Is it going to be worth the cost? Some of you know that I'm a, uh, I'm a civil engineer by profession. One of the things we do is we design uh, bridges. And uh, earlier this year, we had a client that uh, needed a, a bridge across a small river. It wasn't here in Park County. It's not somebody any of you know. But it's a good illustration of uh, considering the cost before embarking on a, on a project. Uh, he asked... He, he came to us and said, hey, I need a bridge because I want to get a large piece of property. He wants to get from one side to the other. Hey, can you guys design a bridge? Yes, we can. So we went out and we surveyed and we spent much time on the computer designing it and, and also 
one of the things as an engineer we do is we give them a cost estimate. And we say, hey, we're not the ones that are going to build this for you, but we think it'll cost about this much. And there's the plans, and here's a cost estimate. He said, great, thanks. Gave it some consideration. Then he came back to us, and he said, you know, this bridge doesn't... It, it's not the best for my how I want to use the property. So can we move that bridge a mile to the north, new location? We said, well, yeah, you can put the bridge anywhere you want, but we have to redo our design to get to that point. He said, yes, please, do that. So uh, the, the next location was actually even a bit more expensive to, to get this bridge to, to work right. So we gave him the, des the new design, and we gave him an updated cost estimate. We said, yeah, I think it's going to be a little more expensive. And he took that back into consideration, and then he went to a bridge manufacturer, because you can actually just go buy a bridge if you want to, uh, and the bridge manufacturer said, yes, we'd love to build that bridge, give us much money first and we'll get started, and he said, okay. Then he went to the contractor who's going to actually put it all together and said, okay, contractor, how much is it going to cost me to do that? And the contractor said, it's going to be a whole pile of money, and he said, ooh, that is more than I expected. It actually was about what we would had told him, but we didn't. He hadn't given it full consideration. He hadn't necessarily considered uh, all of the costs that that are involved in doing that. And it's not that he was making a terrible decision. It just didn't for him. The cost benefit didn't didn't pan out. It wasn't worth it for him to put in this particular bridge to use that particular property the way he wanted because it was too expensive. Now, unfortunately for him, if you go buy a bridge they do make you pay a bunch of money and they start working on it. And then if you say, no, sorry, I don't want that bridge anymore, they say, well, we're still going to keep a bunch of your money. So for him, it was the wrong time to get into that consideration of, hey, is this really worth it? Because he was already literally invested into that bridge. So before you start a big project, before you make a life-changing commitment, you need to consider, is this worth it? And that gets right to the heart of what Jesus is uh, presenting to his disciples as he's commissioning them to go out the door. Because he's saying, hey, you need to know what it's going to be like because I'm asking for a significant commitment here. Before we go off uh, and try to follow Jesus in our workplaces here in Park County, just like the disciples did as they went off to go work for Jesus in the Galilean countryside, we need to ask ourselves, is it worth it? Before you go to Cody High School and walk out your faith every day, you need to ask yourself, is following Jesus worth it? Because as we see in this passage here, God warns you that persecution will come and that it shouldn't surprise you. That persecution doesn't surprise him. He knows what's coming. He calls you to obedience. And he also, as we'll see, promises to take care of you. It's not just sending you out there on your own. As we're working through the book of Matthew here, I, got, I have to give you a little bit of a heads up that today, most of what we're looking at is the cost of following Jesus. And there's some really great news there, but you're going to have to come back next week and you'll hear a little bit more about some of the, the benefits, the good things of following Jesus. So I'll, I'm going to try to give you an accurate picture of both today, but the, the focus of this text is on, the, is on the cost. Next week, though, we'll see that Jesus promises, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 
And that's pretty encouraging. So we've got four big ideas from this passage, from this text. First big idea is that as a follower of Jesus, you are called, you're sent, you're commissioned to be an ambassador for the king. The second one is as you're being that ambassador, you're going to experience persecution. Third big idea, the Holy Spirit is going to meet your needs during that persecution. And the fourth big idea here is the one that brings the joy and the encouragement, and that is the king for whom you're an ambassador, he's coming back. He will return. So let's jump into the text. Chapter 10, verse 16 shows us our first big idea. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Again, recall what Jesus said at the end of, uh, end of chapter 9. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And here, Jesus is talking to his, his laborers. And he says, pay attention, behold, pay attention, I'm sending you. Like, you, are, you are commissioned. Now, he meant that for the 12 disciples that were sitting around, that he was looking them in the eye. But 2,000 years later, that plan hasn't changed. He's still, he's still sending the people that are his disciples out to be his follower. He's commissioning you as a follower of Jesus to be his ambassador. Okay, so let's step back into our imaginations again. And now you are one of those 12 disciples. You're paired up with a guy that maybe you know real well because he's your brother or maybe you don't know well at all. But you're paired up with him. Think about how that sounded to you. Jesus says, hey, I'm sending you out. You're going to be my ambassador. You're like, yes. And he says, and you're a sheep, and you're going to go out the door to the wolves. You're likely to be ripped to shreds and devoured. How's that for a locker room motivational speech, right? Go get him, team. Like, go get devoured. Go get those wolves, sheep. Jesus doesn't want us to be surprised when persecution, when attack comes. Uh, it's not a new idea. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 10 says, Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. Bloodthirsty men have been hating the righteous for forever. So don't be surprised. Uh, it, interestingly here, this is kind of a little aside, verse 16 here is, is the only place in all of Scripture that I can find where a serpent is described in any way that's positive, right? Everywhere else, it's like it's literally Satan in the garden or some other personification of evil. I think Jesus uses this as, as hyperbole to get our attention that because it is a dangerous world out there, we need to be shrewd and we should not be surprised. But also there, like a dove, we need to keep an innocent conscience as we follow him. And don't forget that we are commissioned to go because we, we are sent to go out the front door, even if there's wolves there. So, second big idea here. You're going to experience persecution. Verses 17 and 18. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. In verses 17 and 18... 
Jesus continues his warning, and he's a bit more specific about who some of these wolves are. In this case, it's the religious and the civil authorities, the local courts, the local synagogue, the local power. But it's not only the local guys. You'll also be dragged before governors and kings, before both Jews and Gentiles. That is the, the whole of the power structure in the land. Jesus promises that his followers will experience persecution from the entire world system around them. So, again, you're one of those 12 guys paired up, ready to go out. What do you think you're thinking? Are we really going to go to jail for this? You ready? Like he's send, Jesus is sending us out to the wolves out there, and he's saying that the synagogue is going to flog us, and then we're going to stand before the king. Are you ready to do this next week? Uh, these, are the, these guys knew John the Baptist. They knew what Herod the Tetrarch had done to him. For them, I think it actually was a much more real and immediate likelihood that they could be killed for their faith than it is for us today. We also see in these, these couple of verses here the beginning of a subtle shift that continues for the rest of this passage as we read, where what Jesus is warning them about is true for both those disciples that he was sitting there talking to, but it's also true, and it's more and more true for his, his followers in the next two years after he said that, and then the next 200 years after that, and then the next 2,000 years since then. Because his healing and his good news are going out to, over all the earth, first to the Jew and also to the Gentile. Now, remember that uh, uh, last week Greg talked about how Jesus was sending them first to the lost sheep of Israel and don't go to the Gentile towns. We see here that it, that was a specific instruction for those guys right then, but Jesus' plan is for the whole world because he says here, you're going to stand before Gentile kings and governors around the whole world telling them about me. Jesus' gospel is going to be spread around the world, spread by persecution. Church tradition tells us that all 12 of those guys, except for Judas, were martyred for their faith. Yeah, if you count John, who uh, died in exile on a little island. So that was true. The fact that they would go out and be persecuted and stand before kings and would be killed for their faith, uh, that, that's really a, that's a prophecy. It's true. It wasn't necessarily true for those first few weeks, but we see that later. They went before governors, they went before kings, they went before the Sanhedrin, they went in front of their families, and they boldly proclaimed Jesus as the risen Messiah. So and the Bible doesn't record any persecution in those first few weeks, but it shows us what happened a couple of years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection. Peter and the apostles are in Jerusalem, and they are arrested. They're eventually hauled in front of the, the Jewish ruling council. We see this in Acts chapter 5. We're starting in verse 40. It says, When the Sanhedrin had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. The apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Whose name? Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, is Jesus. 
So what's the second big idea here? You'll experience persecution, including from the outside world around you. Let's move on to our third big idea. In the midst of persecution, the Holy Spirit is going to meet your needs. We see this in verses 19 and 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So what is our natural response to real hardship, to real adversity, to, to real difficulty in our lives? It's, it's anxiety. It's, ooh, that feeling of, this isn't going to go well. This is not going well. It's illustrated in the Psalms over and over and over again. Hard-pressed, beset on every side. David called out to the Lord. The Lord rescued David and gave him peace in his soul. We see that same promise from Jesus here. He says you're going to experience persecution, but don't be anxious. Why? Who's going to meet your needs? Jesus promises the spirit of your father, the Holy Spirit. It's the same spirit that indwelt Jesus as he is ministering to the crowds that same spirit will indwell you. Uh, in Psalms 118, verse 6, it says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. So these, these verses in Matthew, they say that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us in our speech, specifically, when we're speaking out for Jesus. Why is that a big deal? Well, we're, again, we're being sent as his ambassador. And the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. But these verses here, they, they presuppose uh, that you know and understand the truth, right? That you know and understand the king who you are representing. You're an ambassador. You have to know the king's mission and purposes. So the Holy Spirit has promised that he will come alongside you and give you the words to speak. But it's, there's sort of an understanding there that but you know the king for whom you're, you're representing. How do we know that? How do we know the king? We know him through his word through scripture. Jesus is promising there will be persecution and you will have to give an answer for your faith. We can prepare for that in one way and that's by spending time with your king in his word. Again, another little aside, a little tidbit here. This verse is actually a pretty good uh, illustration of the Trinity. It's not a made-up weird doctrine, but there, the the God is three in one. Here in this one verse, we have Jesus speaking. He's promising the Holy Spirit to come from his heavenly Father. So pretty clear representation of the, of the Trinity there. So what's our third big idea? The Holy Spirit is going to meet your needs. We're going to continue on to verses 21 and tw through 23 here, uh, but we're going to jump back to the second big idea, because Jesus does. Followers of Jesus will experience persecution. Verse 21, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So promoting a a truth 
that has already been rejected by the world is going to create division. And that division may even be in our families or with those closest to you. So here, the persecution that Jesus warns about in these verses is more insidious and it's more damaging than the persecution that he warned about uh, in, in the previous verses. Because in verse 17, the, the persecution was coming from the world system around us. Here in verse 21, it's more hurtful because that persecution is going to come from those that are closest to us. And Jesus warns that devotion to him is going to split families. And those that you love the most, they may just say, you know what, this Jesus thing, that's just, it's just too much. I'm not doing that. The persecution has gone then from, from public to private. And we go from feeling the power that others, like the real power, the governmental power that others may have over us, to, uh, to fearing that loss of relationship really that sustains us. Jesus gives us a similar warning in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 2. And he says, whoever kills you will think he is doing a service to God. And they did. There's only one consolation when both the, the public world around us and the private world that's closest to us comes crashing down around us. And that is the person of Jesus himself. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Really? That's going to give me peace? That they're, they're going to think that they're doing a service to God by, by killing those who believe in him? But yes, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When faced with persecution, what is the follower of Jesus called to do? We're called to endure, to not lose heart, to not grow weary. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Flee to the next town, keep going, don't give up. That's what we're called to do, to keep moving. Because we have our mindset on the big idea number four from this passage, and that is the king is coming. Keeping our eyes on the prize is difficult. Enduring is difficult by its very nature. It's what Jesus calls to, us to do. In verse 22, we have the statement, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Saving faith is always, uh, it will always persevere through difficulty, through trouble and persecution. And it will persevere over the life of the believer. Saving faith shows its fruit over the long term. There's highs and lows, but over the long term, we see fruit from the life of someone who has saving faith. Is there room for doubt in saving faith? Yes, there is. We see that amply in Scripture. But saving faith will always return us to our Lord and Savior in the midst of doubt. Uh, this passage begs the question, though, of can you lose your salvation? I'm not going to delve into that issue too deeply this morning here, but the short answer is, is no. 
You can't lose your salvation. The one who's saved is forever held in God's hand. It's referred to as the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And if you had questions about that, I'd point you to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and 1 Peter chapter 1. We're not going to dwell on that issue this morning here, but the application from that verse is still pretty clear. If you find yourself far from God, and the faith that you once had seems dry, if, if God seems small and distant, uh, the cure for that is to, believer or not yet believer alike, to repent of our sin and trust in Christ for our salvation. And he promises that he'll give us what we need to persevere and endure. These verses also show an expansion of, uh, of the warning that Jesus is giving beyond just those 12 disciples. Kind of like I mentioned before, it applies to them specifically, but it applies to us today uh, perhaps even more than, than, they, than it did for them in those first couple weeks. We, that's true because here Jesus is warning that we're going to be killed for his name's sake, right? But we know from Scripture that those 12 survived their little trip around Judea and that they all got back together again, you know, presumably a few weeks later. So he was not referring to the immediate weeks in front of them, but he has a, a longer view in mind there until he returns again. So we're going to put on our imagination again, and we're going to go back in, and we're, we're going to sit in our sandals, and we're in the disciples' place. We're being commissioned by Jesus to go through the towns of Judea specifically, and we're going to proclaim the good news, and we're going to heal the sick and the broken. And if I'm sitting there, I'm not thinking about future believers in Jesus two millennia from now. He said that I'm going to get hauled before the king and that I'm probably going to get killed. But I'm also thinking about, hey, this is the Messiah. And I got to go tell my neighbors. I got to go tell my friends. I have to go tell my, my country that this Messiah is finally here. We've been waiting for him for centuries. But what Jesus just says here, again, kind of just changes everything for them because Jesus says, you won't get through all the towns before the Son of Man, before the Messiah arrives. You know all these little towns around here? You're not even going to get to them, to them all. So if, if, if it was me and my personality, and I'm sitting there and Jesus says, hey, you go, but you're not going to get through all the towns before the Son of Man comes. And I'd sit there and I'd go, okay. So there's six pairs of us, and there's like eight towns here, and there's six districts, and uh, oh, don't forget the independent capital of Jerusalem. And if I walk about three miles an hour, and we spend 1.8 days in each uh, of these towns, then that means Jesus is going to be like, what are the Messiah in how many days? Jesus, what's going on here? Maybe that's just me. What do the disciples still not understand? Jesus meant something much bigger than the that the Son of Man is something much bigger than just the political Messiah. He's not just the King of Israel for right then. So we, 2,000 years later, we have the, the fullness of Scripture here to look at. and We have the benefit of hearing more from Jesus that he said after he told these guys what was going on, uh, from later in the Gospel of Matthew and elsewhere. Uh, and he told them extensively about what the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like. And it is wildly encouraging to me 
So they didn't have the benefit of seeing that right then, but as they spent the next couple of years with Jesus and as they walked out through their lives uh, following him after his, uh, he rose again and w- ascended to heaven, then they understood a bit more about what this is like. Mark chapter 14, verse 61 through 62. Who is the son of man? So Jesus is in front of uh, the, the Sanhedrin again, uh, just before he's crucified. The high priest asks him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That is not a, there's not a wimpy picture there. Then that is not a political Messiah either. You'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. There's nothing earthly about that. If we skip further ahead in the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 25, we read this. 25 verses 31 and following. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Going down to verse 41. And then the Son of Man, in his glory, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That fourth big idea, that the king is returning. And when the king returns, when the Son of Man comes on the clouds, it is too late to decide which side you're on. We must count the cost now. We must understand the, the, the costs and benefits now, and we must make our decision based on what he tells us, what he has told us here in Scripture ahead of time. Because he's going to say to the sheep on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And he's going to say to the other group of people who do not recognize him as their Lord and Savior, as their king, go away into eternal punishment. Are you willing to be known as the king's ambassador? When that king comes back, do you want to be one of the people who are saying, yes, I am for you? Moving along in chapter 10, last couple of verses here in chapter of this section this morning. Verse 24 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So a disciple knows what his his master is all about. He knows his master's mission, his teacher's mission. A servant, a slave, is not above his master, but the the slave knows his master's business. What am I supposed to do? What does this guy do? They are, the disciple wants to be associated with the teacher. 
the slave doesn't have the choice, but works for the master. Are you willing to be associated with Jesus? Are you willing to put yourself under, to subjugate yourself to him, to be called by his name? As the ambassador for the king, if you are, are you willing to say what he said? To hold to his truth? To speak the truth of scripture about some of the divisive issues that we see today? Are you willing to say, hey, abortion is wrong? Are you willing to say that God made people man and woman? Are you willing to say that marriage is between one man and one woman? Are you willing to say that Jesus is the only way by which we can be saved? I got to tell you, it's, it is a lot easier to say those things standing up here on a Sunday morning, especially when a bunch of you are going, yep, yep, uh-huh. It's a lot easier to do it from this stage right here than it would be tomorrow morning at my office. And I know you guys know what that feels like. It's not enough to be his ambassadors when we're all together. We are called to be his ambassadors to the world around us. Because the king's coming back. Four big ideas in this passage. First big idea, you are sent, you are commissioned. As a, if, if you have made the decision to follow Jesus, you are, you are commissioned to go and be his ambassador the king's ambassador. And as you are going about the king's business, as you are speaking for him, you will experience persecution. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit will meet your needs as you experience that persecution. And finally, it will be worth it because the king is not gone, gone. The king is returning. He is coming. So if you've already made the choice to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life and you're commissioned to be his ambassador, it probably doesn't surprise you to hear these things because we have experienced that at least to some small degree in our lives. And we've tasted that joy of going, this is difficult and I feel anxious, but I also feel and understand and experience the Holy Spirit in my life giving me peace like nothing else can. In that persecution, the Holy Spirit meets our needs. And we are able to endure because we are sustained by the Holy Spirit and by the knowledge that the Son of Man, the King of Kings, is returning. Another group of people, though, that are, that are standing on the outside considering, is this worth it? You just told me that my family might turn against me. You told me that the world is going to be out to get me, literally, as a, as a follower of Jesus. Is that worth it? You need to understand the cost, but you also need to know that God loves you. He wants to give you an abundant life. It's not a life of possessions. It's a life of peace. But he, in that, he warns you that he brings you a life that will bring you hardship and persecution, and peace. Persecution by the world, persecution from those near to you. But there's another cost 
to stepping away from his call. Turning away from his call is turning away from eternity with him to an eternity in punishment. And I say, please, don't choose to follow the crowd now and be separated from peace for eternity in return. There is a cost to both choices. If you haven't made that decision, having counted the cost to say, yes, Jesus is going to be Lord of my life, then I'd say, please, come talk with me. Talk to the folks that you're sitting next to. If somebody invited you here, talk with them. But don't leave without knowing the joy of walking with Jesus, even in the midst of persecution. With this, I have one encouragement for all of us. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world, and the King is coming back. Father God, it is a joy to hear how you meet our needs in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of dry, a dryness in our soul sometimes. Lord, the antidote for that is you. So I pray, Lord, that we would turn to you. Would you equip us to be your ambassadors this week? Would you give us the words to speak and would you give us the spine to say those words? I pray that we would look like you, that we would represent your interests, that we would be about your business as we leave here today. Lord, we thank you that you promised to equip us to do just that. So the glory is not ours, but yours. I pray these things in your name.